What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameribraid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that Ameribraid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Ameribraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? We're back again. It's me, your host, Ryan Coakley of Ryan Chabor Knifeworks. We got a little switcheroonie today. Noah is out with his wife, so we got a different Noah. We got Noah Vachon of Vachon Knives, and we got Andrea DeLeon. How's it going, guys? Doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad your Noah quota, uh, quota has been met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, not a problem. Anytime, anytime. Thank you guys for a slide. This episode almost didn't get made because it was it was going to be me, Noah, and JB Blades. And then mm. Noah's, Noah's wife wanted to go on a trip, so I got B. Cone to step in. B. Cone got the Rona, so he had Aww. to cancel. And then JB Blades had to reschedule. So I was like, oh, no, this is going to total <laughs> dog shit, like real <laughs> fast. But then you guys stepped up and... Yeah, Here man, if I can, I'm always down. Yeah. Likewise. And you guys have been killing it lately. You've, you've had some pretty big guests in the last uh, couple episodes I've seen. We're trying. We're trying. There was some technical difficulties with the Dave Baker episode. Noah cut out like 40 minutes in, and then he had a delay that got progressively worse through the last like 20 minutes of the show. But it was there was nothing I could do about it. It was in the track. So it was either scrap the episode and I'm never going to be able to get Dave Baker on again or just put it out and deal with the DMs. So Right, right. Nothing you could do. No, it is what it is. Yeah, I think like the, the episode I did at Maker Camp was like that too. It was picking up like all the madness that was happening around the tent that we were in. The sound was like not ideal, but the conversation was solid. So it's still like one of my favorites, if I can say that but yeah i mean sometimes it's not perfect but whatever i mean it's about the content right so. right yeah and you can't win them all i mean yeah it's a happens. lot it's a lot um i definitely someone's actually come up to me actually neil neil was like you should have a podcast i'm like that's like a whole other job like on top of <laughs> like what i'm already doing it's a lot to put out this content you know, so I admire all you guys that are like still in it and like just producing, I don't know, just stuff that I listen to. I prefer listening to people talking, especially if it's something of a subject that I'm interested in rather than music these days uh, when I'm like hand sanding in my shop. I don't know about you guys. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like to mix it up. But what one of the nicest things about doing this type of work is that you can actually listen to pretty much anything and it doesn't distract you from your job. It's not like you're dealing with words where you, you know, you'd have to listen to music. You couldn't listen to somebody talking. So there's actually a lot of hours of, you know, listening to fill every day, pretty much, which means like you can be kind of voracious with your, you know, music and your podcast appetite. It's one of the nicest things about this type of work I find. For sure. I'm really grateful to like be able to feed my brain. Rather than, I mean, I teach too, so that's just me divulging information for hours at a time, right. <laughs> rather than like um, absorbing it. So, I like uh, having that time to to be able to do that. Definitely. You, you mentioned Maker Camp. Are you going back to Maker Camp this year? Not this year, unfortunately. I just have too much on my plate. It's like I'm already in the holiday grind, 
Oh boy. Um, so I just went to uh, Chicago last week to do Renegade. And like right before that, I was in Costa Rica for a tattoo convention situation. And uh, so cool. it's just already like go. Like holidays are up, Halloween's here. After that, you know, there's the studio tours in November in Austin. And then I have Armadillo in December, which is like two weeks of like pure, like just selling at a thing. Is that a big craft show? Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, right now I'm just like inventory, let's go. (laughs) Like every little sliver of time as well as like developing a new product with my new business partner. So it's just kind of like... Um, yeah, it's too much. Like I, there's an iron pour in Chicago that I got invited to in a couple of weeks and I just like, can't like, I want to, like, I'm usually like so passionate about that and I will like drop everything to go to an iron pour. But, um, I've just been like, this year has been a little different and I've been like out of office a little too much. So now it's time to put my nose to the grindstone. You know, I don't know about you guys, uh, how the holidays goes for you guys. Yeah, it's pretty important. You can't really skip. Right. <laughs> yeah, for and sure. And I feel like every year I, sh- I realize that I should have started earlier. So, yeah. I, I mean, what you're saying makes total sense. I mean, here we are. Yeah, I started in the summer. Beginning of September. You start in the summer. Wow. Yeah, okay. I started in the summer to build inventory. Yeah. Actually, all throughout the year while I'm teaching jewelry fabrication, my demos, I'll try to make them into something that I'll actually use in my production line. Hmm. So that like I can somewhat double dip if I can, but try to make use of like the allotted time in my day to just like, even if I'm not actively like, cause I'll wait to have a collection and finish that out and then release it. Right. So fortunately I have some leftovers and like I, this at Renegade, I'd like, a lot of inventory, which I'm like grateful for. Definitely came home a lot lighter. Thank you guys for supporting me. Um, But yeah, so I have like still, there's like East, which is three weekends in a row in uh, November. And then Armadillo is like a couple weeks. I can't honestly, like don't even know. exactly. Uh, Touching on that building inventory. That's something that we've talked a lot about on this show and how difficult it is. Do you guys find it's easier to mix in, like just do one or two with your normal everyday orders or do you do whole batches of inventory at once? Well, you have that. Uh, no, I have a different approach. But, yeah. Um, well, I mean, my thing is always trying to keep my myself as interested in what I'm doing as possible. As soon as I start to feel like it's it's bogging me down, I, I, I always worry that my my quality is going to start to slip, right? Like if I'm not like completely interested and invested in something that I'm doing and that happens sometimes when I'm doing it like big quantities of the same project, hundred percent, I'm always concerned about that. And so sometimes I'll bite off a little more than I can chew, take on something that's a little too much of the same thing. And I'll just mix in a few things at the same time, you know, that are different enough to keep my, keep my interest level up and not like to get too sick of it basically. But in terms of even like never mind interest, but in terms of like efficiency, there's a magic number, right? Like you can like you could make a batch a specific size. If you go a little too much, suddenly that efficiency starts to drop again. At least for me, I find. So For sure. Um, I'm not sure. Are you guys familiar with Seth Gould? No. No. Um, as bladesmith slash just makers, just metal nerds in general, I highly recommend you look him up. He was a an artist, a resident artist at Penland. He's an, a phenomenal blacksmith. He's making these like super intricate. I, I mean, I can't even be, begin to explain, but he also makes tools just like for bread and butter. And uh, we had a, like, a really interesting conversation about that too. Like he makes like jeweler saws, right? Which I was interested in buying. And there, there is that number where like that sweet spot, where like above that the quality will suffer and that's like different also like during the time of year or like what's going on in your life yeah but, um, yeah i uh, definitely like as a tool maker when you're doing production handmade production right it's like like you want to make money but you don't you want to like 
still maintain like that level of quality. I don't know about you, but if like, I can't let it go, even if it adds like another day of work and it's something that the customer will never see, but I know that it's there, I will spend the extra day like fixing it. Sure. Um, yeah, that's definitely different. I, um, to answer your question, I actually have a line that's specifically production where I can just like turn off my brain and go on autopilot. Um, and then I have my like custom orders. So that was the interesting thing about Renegade um, that like I had no like my style for my production line are very like minimal. They're sleek. They don't have handles on them. They're minimal. Well, some of them do. But um, I didn't have anything like super colorful or um, over the top or like super, super customized because I like retain that for the people that are um, giving me deposits to make them something custom. So like that inventory is hardly ever around. But the other stuff where I can just like knock out six at a time. Sure. I mean, the slitters, is that what you call them? Yeah, the slitters and the boot knives, um, mm-hmm. those are just kind of like, I can just knock those out and not really worry too much about them. And ha- I always have an inventory of that. But as far as like the customs go, because it requires, like, I preferred having like one client, client at a time. Like I prefer, if not, I get burned out. Right. So I'm like, if you give me a deposit and I have, I'm making that custom, I'm going to make it special for you. That's the entire point of this industry, I feel like, is I'm making a tool for someone that's special. I know they can go to, I don't know, Bed Bath & Beyond and get the good kitchen knife, whatever. Um, but they're coming to me for something like unique. And so um, that business model is separate from like, building inventory like for the jewelry it's easy for me because i teach casting and mold making so like right alongside them i like can bust out some more work right um uh so yeah and they like through that i teach them how i troubleshoot certain things and how i address um how to fabricate it right interesting um noah i was super curious What's up with these miniature chef knives you've been doing? <laughs> um, this is, I guess, just me sort of like responding to what the market is telling me in a way, right? Like I've had over the course of the, you know my knife making career, I've sort of just like haphazardly hit on certain models that I didn't really think too much of necessarily and did as a one-off. And then suddenly everybody seems to, you know, be interested in them and want more. And then I'll just say, okay, course correction let's just make a lot of these because that's what people seem to want right now and so the minis it's just started as like uh it was one of those things i was in the middle of making a batch and i was like i'm gonna do something totally different right now i had like an hour and a half left in the day and i was just like i'm gonna do i'm gonna just make a little mini knife because i had a little piece of scrap and I was like, okay that's what i'll do totally it's just a one-off idea and uh, posted a video of it and and people were very interested in it so I thought, okay well let's let's go down this rabbit hole for a little while and, and see what that you know turns up and you um, gotta ride those waves when they come right yeah exactly because <laughs> you can't always predict it you have to kind of like be scattershot about it you got to try this try that try this and then if something you know hits it's like you know panning for gold or whatever you know you hit a vein you're like okay let's ride this let's 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 do this for as long as you can, because you know it's not going to last forever. There's exactly. going to be a certain amount of interest, and then it'll sort of dry up, and then, okay, so we'll move on to something else now. I, I got a good chuckle out of it. I like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know it's kind of silly, and everybody keeps asking me, like, what are these even for? But, of course, there's a, a pretty you know large sub-genre, you could say, of knives that are miniatures, right? Like miniature knives. Actually, one of the guys who was most well-known is this guy, Yvon Vachon, who's got, you know, shares the same last name as, as me. He's from Quebec as well. And if you, I think if you win the mini, best miniature award at Blade Show, it's the Yvon Vachon Award. Like, so it's like a, there's a category at Blade Show for mini knives. And I was like, well, I've got the same last name. I might as well try one at some point. So this has kind of always been like, you know, in the back of my mind, I should try making a miniature. And his are, you know, they're like incredible. They're the size of a dime. He'll make like these Swiss army knives that are like the size of a dime. It's insane. Holy. Doing small is in like 
surprisingly hard, like the smaller you yeah. get, right? I don't yeah, like uh, Grace Horn scissors now are just like, I, like I can't even fathom how small it is. Same thing in jewelry, the smaller the stones get, like it's just so much more challenging to set. So yeah, I'm I'm actually glad that you're mixing it up though. It's it's a fun little challenge. I, don't, I think it is, and 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 it it it's interesting to see what's similar in terms of process, like between making a mini and making a full scale knife. Like there's actually, uh, you know, probably eighty percent of the steps are exactly the same, just smaller. You know, like and so there's that. You know, there's a challenge involved in that, but then of course the the, the scale of it, you know, forces you to change your process a little bit in order to suit it. Um, so that's fun too. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen videos of people using these to prepare their supper and okay, that's, you know, if that's something that you want to do with them, great. They're fully sharpened and hardened. So they're like usable, but, um, there's also, I noticed, <laughs> I discovered recently, there's like a whole genre of mini cooking. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but like yeah. mm-hmm. these tiny little, you know, cast iron pans with a little steak in it and they're on a tiny little cook <laughs> top and it's just. I don't really get it, but you know, it, the internet, man. it exists the internet. And, yeah. and you know, people are interested in it. So mm-hmm. yes, I will follow it as long as it goes. There's it a goes. lot of weird, like niche interests on the internet. Uh, on my other show, my brother and I were talking about ASMR recently and like those people that like oh. over their microphones, <laughs> like. Dude, I don't get it, but guys make like a living doing that. It's kind they of mind blowing. Buttloads of money. I know it's insane. Um, <laughs> I always feel like uh, what is that show? Tim Robinson, you know, where he's like, "What is this? Yeah, it's a very strange world that we live in. I mean, like people make a living just opening up boxes on YouTube, so. Um, yeah, I'd rather make knives, I guess. I don't know. Ryan, the last time I think you had me on the podcast, you were doing a huge batch that you were a little daunted by. I think it was like for a mm-hmm. restaurant, right? And it was your yeah. first, I think, 50 plus or something. It was a big, it was a big order. Mm-hmm. Have you been doing more of I've that done, type of work? Uh, I got the list right behind me. Where is Where did it start? That's the first one. So that would have been like November of last year. So far for them, I've done 75, 50, 100, 25. I've done 200 more. Holy smokes. And I've got uh, 20 on order with them right now. It's it's slowed down quite a bit. Yeah? Yeah. I'm sure you have everything dialed in, though, to just kind of like. Yeah, they're kind of, I can bang them out now. That's awesome. There's nothing like repetition to do that. Yeah, I just zone out. You know, that's where podcasts come into play, too. I like a lot of comedy podcasts. Yeah, me too. Like, you know, Kill Tony and any, like, Flagrant and Rogan, obviously, but any of those guys. I I don't like listening to technical podcasts, and that's probably why we're not, we don't really do that many technical episodes, because, like, you know. We There's have a few here and there. There's plenty of those. Right, exactly. Like, who wants to listen to Austinite and Martinsite and, you know, like, Perlite <laughs> and, like, all that shit? I mean, there was a time and a place where, yes, I was nerding out on that shit. But, you know, man, I just, I like hearing about people's stories generally. So I listen to a lot of interviews. Like, what hardships people have gone through, like, challenges or, like, I don't know. I just find it, like, interesting when you can, like, I don't know. Uh, I just felt like an outcast so long, like of like most of my life. So when I hear, I'm like, oh, I can relate to like most people. It's uh, an interesting connection, even if it's like so far from my day to day life, right? So I don't know. I, that's why I listen to Mark Marin. He's really good at yeah. a lot of that stuff. Not only that, I love his like monologue at the beginning where he's like spiraling and like freaking out over everything. <laughs> That shit cracks me up. But yeah, I, Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I I just uh, like that Austin's becoming like more of like a comedy thing. Like I can criticize Joe Rogan all I want, but like he's definitely had part to like um, 
bring a lot of comics to to town and more comedy clubs. So it's yeah. I I totally spaced on the fact that two of those podcasts I listed take place in your town now. (laughs) Oh yeah, kill Tony too, right? Yeah. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't hate that. I'm not mad about it. I, I go to <laughs> I go to his comedy club more often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. Are you from Austin originally? No, I was actually um, born in Houston, but I went to high school in Mexico. My whole family is from Mexico. Okay, but always sort of so from from Texas or originally. At, at, yeah, at, at I've been living before. here on and off for the past like 14 years. Yeah. So you must have seen Austin change a lot in that past 14 years, right? Yeah, I have. <laughs> for, better and, for better and for worse, I'm sure. Yes, both both things for sure. But I mean, I guess it's the same in most metropolises, right? So nothing new. No, it's true. Austin's been getting a lot of play, though. It seems like it's it's been coming up in the conversation more and more and more. I, yeah. It's never on my radar, but now I'm like, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check it out. It sounds like there's some really cool stuff happening there there is for sure but it's turning into la and like what i miss is like yeah you know how i feel about that but um (laughs) i that's why i'm here but um it what i'm sad about is like the really authentic genuine unique things that made austin austin are just disappearing um and so it's kind of like put me back in this place where i'm like all right, I'm back in this zone of like, where do I belong type thing. Like right now I'm in Dripping Springs. I've been hanging out in like the hill country a lot more lately, like Wimberley and stuff like that. Um, That's like more like Texas proper, which is ironic for me to be hanging out here more, but it's just chill. It's a different vibe. It sucks when too many people start to get hip to the thing you'd like, right? Like, well, you know, people ruin everything, man. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And yeah, so I can see that Austin has been like taken over now, right? You, know, you have to yeah. escape a little further afield. Yeah, but you know, as knife makers, we're hermits, so we're we're fine. That's <laughs> the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna get an ad out of the way here. Well, we got a little pause right there. Hustle & Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. Noah, you had mentioned that we had been getting a lot of like more high profile guests on. Are there any guests either of you would like to see us get on? Mm. Lovely. I, I might put my foot in my mouth for not knowing who you've already had. So don't worry. I have brought you. <laughs> it's okay. Andrea, do you know somebody in mind? Well, I still would love to do uh I've just been like insanely busy, but I can call. I, w- I would love to do something with uh, Sue Schwarzer and you. That'd be cool. That would be amazing. Um, I, him and I like super nerd out. So definitely expect some Austinite conversations. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, maybe even some like larger production company type things like um uh i don't know representatives from like benchmade or something like that i would love to see that side of that industry a little bit more um just like straight up production i know um we knives has you know i don't know i i bought a knife off of them a few years back and thought the quality was really nice so i'm just like curious about um, scaling up and things like that. So I, I would enjoy those conversations too. Yeah. Cause I'm, in, I'm curious about that. And I'm curious about how you get your foot in the door with some of those right. companies, because they have small makers like us designed for them a lot of the time. For sure. Exactly. And I've actually tried to, um, email some of them and 
uh, can't get them to listen to me because <laughs> I'm like a small fish or the fact that it's like a girl. I don't know. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I know that I have, I've had to go through uh, Neil Kamimura a few times just to get people to like throw me a bone, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's who, you know, for sure. Yeah. yeah references. Man. That yeah. or I'll just get a new um, Gmail. That's like millionaire tactical at gmail.com or something. <laughs> Maybe I'll listen to you then. I, uh, I've applied with bespoke post probably five times yeah. trying to get a response out of them. I'm sure also those companies are flooded with mm-hmm. like, you know, requests and things. So I'm sure they're like overwhelmed as well. Um, it's surprising to see even some companies that I think is like managed by like 20 people and it's only like five, you know? So um, that might be the case. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be uh, something that I haven't really like something I want to dig into and haven't had the opportunity. And so I feel like uh, an interview with, I don't know, a representative would be cool. I don't know. What about you, Noah? I'm all, I don't know. Those situations always make me a little bit nervous because I'm always afraid that, you know, I guess the worst case scenario would be they're like, well, great. We want 2000 like next month or something you know like i'm I've, I've always been hesitant to try to scale up too quick just because i've heard so many i guess horror stories about people who like just totally burn themselves out and just kind of ruined everything for themselves because they tried to jump up to that level before they were ready and yeah I'm pretty comfortable with like you know just taking a few custom orders doing like building what I feel like building when I feel like building it. And that it, like, it's a, it's a nice balance. I feel like, and even though, yes, this notion of scaling is, is, I mean, it's a really, you know, big dark area for me. It's like, like, I don't know. I don't know how the hell I'm supposed to scale up when it's just me. And there's only so many hours in a day. And of course, like if I could sell designs and stuff, that would, you know, that would certainly be an interesting prospect. But, yeah. but when it comes to, scaling what I do. I'm not sure I could scale it much more than what I, you know, there's only so many hours of the day, right? Yeah. And I guess it pertains to the individual when it comes to scaling up because you, I mean, realistically, if you want to do it, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with them of what you can, what you're feasibly able to do in that first run. Um, that's what I did with the restaurant. You know, the, the deadline when they set an order for 50 now is four weeks. Um, and the first batch I said, I need two months. I need eight weeks and then that'll give me time to, you know, make my, make my quench tank bigger, get all the supplies in, figure out how I'm going to do this, what the order of operations is going to be. And so you just got to be honest with them and, and not everybody wants to do that. Some people are just artists yeah. and they just want to make their art. I want to make money and art at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say. It really depends on like when you start scaling up like that, your job, instead of making the actual knife, starts to become admin. It's like answering emails, making phone calls, researching this, that or the other. And so like, it's just like, how do you want to spend your time? Right. Um, and if you're happy just doing like small batches, like just go for it, man. That's I, I've personally like had like gravitate to that more because I can, I don't know, just working with my hands is a lot more satisfactory than me being frustrated by a computer that I don't understand what it's doing and why (laughs) or what. I can't like smash it with a hammer. So it's frustrating. Um, But yeah, you just have to kind of on the notion of balance of money and also make your art like um, I think there is a sweet spot there for sure. And, And if you already have your like process dialed in Ryan, like I, I wouldn't really mess with that, you know? Yeah. On these cleavers I do. And then I, um, I dropped an EDC design. It's actually a long one and a short one. I called it the signet, which is a baby swan. Cause that's my logo is a swan. And, uh, I went with bolt on handles for those. And it makes me want to do bolt on for everything because it cuts out like my least favorite step, which is epoxy. I don't like the tactile having sticky shit on your hands. <laughs> So the epoxy yeah. phase for me is just like it, 
you know, gives me the yeah, ooh. yeah, yeah. I hear you. I mean, you can cut out glue altogether. I mean, glue is. I always feel like glue is a bit of a cheat, right? The glue is a bit of a shortcut. Like if if I had, if I could just make mechanical, you know, bonds basically for everything, mm-hmm. I, I think I would. And I've always admired guys that like go that extra mile to do that to avoid glue completely. Yeah. There were like years and years and years that people were making knives when epoxy wasn't invented yet. No epoxy, and that's yeah, the exactly. whole point yeah. of like riveting and you know mechanical cold connections, right? Yeah. Um, the the glue, I guess, just like is more peace of mind more than anything else. Right? And it holds out moisture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you don't get like rust down in your tang hole. But you know, right. whatever. Yeah. What do you What do you think? Back on the original question, though, who do you think we should have on? See, well, tangents. That's what I was saying about tangents. No, that's good. You, you brought it back. <laughs> um, you... I guess like Josh Prince. I don't know if you've had him on, but... Uh, oh. He's scheduled in two weeks. Well, there you go. Yeah, he is the shit, dude. Yeah, he's I great. love that guy. Yeah. I, I, he buys a lot of my jewelry. He's great. Yeah, he's really cool. Yeah, he was at the New England School of Metalwork where, when we met in person. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. That was a good event. We got to meet some good guys. How about Jordan Lamont? Have you had him on or... Yeah, he, he's, I mean, I don't know if you've seen Fantastic. the stuff that he's doing recently, like that hollow handled knife was, it's insane. I mean, he's, he's come back with a lot of new techniques and uh, it's really cool to see him apply it. Um, what about the Cass brothers from Argentina? No, I've never heard of them. Oh my God, dude. You have to look them up right up. now. What the oh, cast they broke, make the like, knives of my dreams. Like C-A-S-S. it makes me want to just like give up because they're just so fucking good. They're so good. Um, yeah, and I would also love to hear he's he does make knives, but Pete Matilla, he's actually just a blacksmith artist. He does make gorgeous Damascus knives, but Pete Matilla is the definition of blacksmith in my opinion he's like the new albert paley interesting he's doing some incredible shit right speaking of center for metal arts he's up there right now like making some mind-blowing shit so yeah i would love to see that did you That'd did you look sweet. up the cast i didn't see him it wouldn't come up is oh, it c-a-s-s he goes C-A-S-S. under c-a-s iberia i think c-a-s iberia oh cast iberia I would love to have Steve Schwarzer on. Oh, cast knives. Cast knives. CAS underscore knives. Um, Yeah, they they just floor me with every post. It's just ridiculous. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) It is insane. They won uh, Best Damascus this year at Blade. Oh, not surprising. Not surprised at all. Yeah. Wow, that's unbelievable. Like, their images, their guards, everything is like, that's not real, but it is. Yeah, everybody go check them out. Cast underscore knives. Yeah, they're real sweet. If you need a translator, (laughs) I'm a total fangirl. What do they speak in Argentina? Portuguese? They speak Spanish. Spanish? Yeah. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's all good. I guess because yeah. Brazilians speak Portuguese. So I was like, oh, that's South America. Yeah, Brazilians and yeah, Brazilians for sure. I only know that because I watch MMA. Oh, yeah. And all the Brazilian fighters speak Portuguese. So you never know what they're saying. Yeah, it's a crazy language. The Brazilians I, are doing some crazy stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. They've like, been like, like low key talented, like just chilling, but balling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They crush yeah. it in everything they do. Except for yeah. economics, <laughs> but like blacksmiths, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Even the Brazilian fighters, they dominate. <clears throat> yeah, it's like in their blood. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yep. But yeah. I'd love to have Steve Schwarzer on. Uh, I I have this thing where I'm like super worried. I'm bugging people, so oh. if they if they don't reply once, I'm like I'll. I'm not so gonna I'm like pretty confident he, he recommended me to someone else, which thank you for reminding me. I need to get back to them. Um, uh, like he was on a podcast and like recommended me. And then I, 
so I was like, oh, well, let's just like throw you in the mix, right? So it's just been, yeah, after, before leaving for Costa Rica slash Chicago, it was just like balls to the wall. Like we were finishing up the tattoo machine and stuff. So it was just kind of like, like hang on <laughs> until it's over. And I'm so glad it's over. But that yeah. was super cool. The ta- I messaged you about the tattoo machines because that's right. Well, yeah. Two of my brothers are tattoo artists, and I'm a mechanic, so naturally in their head they're like Ryan can build a tattoo machine, which I'm sure I could. Yeah, but I've never had the time to really dive into it. Um, and so they run rotary like, machines now, anyway. So a coil exactly. machine. Exactly. Direct drives are really simple. You just need to make the chassis, and like I'll get you the info on the motors and stuff, Sweet. and like like. Uh, a lot of the stuff you can just like buy and get like the bearings and the cams and stuff. So, um, yeah, and but, you just like, assemble the them. You can probably make it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Noah, do you have any tattoos? You know what? I've like the lamest tattoo story basically ever. I think. Do tell, do um, tell. So, when I, <laughs> so, when I was like 17 years old, I had four very close friends, and, and we had one summer where we knew this was like our last summer to hang out. And we were all like, let's go get tattoos. And we went to the tattoo parlor and we couldn't afford anything because it was like 17 years old. We didn't know how much a tattoo cost. So all we could afford was a single digit. So we were like, okay, well, there's four of us. We'll just get the number four tattooed. Each of us will get the number four. And um, it's, and it, I mean, it was on, it, I had it on my wrist and just bled into like this blob. <laughs> it's like nothing. And, looks like a and mole. <laughs> everyone that that our other friends just ridiculed us like completely to death. So you know, we, we felt pretty ashamed, I guess, in a way of our shitty cheap You're little like, tattoos. Our minimum is eighty dollars. <laughs> oh, I think we had, I think it was twenty bucks, and it was at like it was like a head shop. It was, I mean, it's oh. like not where you get a tattoo, but I didn't. Yeah, we didn't know anything probably, about it. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, I've had my belly button piercing sketchier places for sure. Yeah, my tongue pierced. Oh my god, that was weird. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, everyone has those kind of like stories where you're like, let's do this. I'm being spontaneous. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> as, a, as a group. I don't yeah. regret it. I just, at this point, I just really want to put something on top of it. So I just have yeah. to come to it. I like blastovers. Those are fun. I've got a few. Yeah. Thomas is doing one on my back right now. Yeah. It's never, it's never easier the second time. Man, I don't know about you, but like the older I get, the like harder, like I used to be able to sit like really, really well and I still do, but I don't like the stamina is not there. I'm like, like a little wuss now, I guess mostly because like the last few times it was like my lower back slash like butt getting tattooed. So there's all those nerve endings from your spinal cord, right? But man, it's been like. Every time I sit, I'm like, is it, did it suck this hard last time? Like, <laughs> you got to give yourself some credit. You have tr- like, uh, well known the worst areas on a woman's body to get tattooed. Like men and men and women have, a lot of people don't know this. We have different pain areas. What hurts mm-hmm. us doesn't hurt you guys. And what hurts you guys doesn't hurt us necessarily in those areas. And like your Mandela tattoos and all that stuff. I bet those sucked. Man. I've got the ditch of both elbows and behind both my knees tattooed, and those were the worst place. Behind the knees, behind was probably the, the worst. knees, dude. I will never forget it. I felt like such a wuss because I was like white knuckling it. Like I was like, I cannot believe. I'm really glad he's like really fast because my my brother started laughing as he because my brothers tattoo me. So yeah. as he's getting up into the ditch of my knees, like. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck are you laughing about? And then once he hit me in the crease of the knee, I was like, oh, oh my God. It's so yeah. bad. So bad. Yeah, my friend. I've got heard the sternum is really bad too. The sternum's okay. It's not that bad. I don't know. I don't have like my collarbones or anything. I'm sure that sucks. But uh yeah, I mean I had the same kind of joke when my friend was getting his leg sleeve. I'm like, you want to start in the middle, right? You want to get to start in the middle and go out? <laughs> you might be better off get the worst over with when you're the most able to handle it. I, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. He, he let me, um, he let me tattoo my friend, which is cool. Like his inner thigh, something that wouldn't like really matter, but 
Nice. Um, I, I wasn't supposed to tell anybody, but I'll tell you guys. I tattooed a little heart on my on my brother's wrist. Aw. Yeah, like, he's why like, are they so secretive about it? I've tattooed myself and other people, and they're like, it's so gatekeepy. I hate it. The whole tattoo uh, culture. Yeah. I I my so there's two of them and one of them's older and he's like the one who taught my other brother Rich who I do the other show with and uh he's super super protective of his craft like yeah they all way, are way way different than knife makers and like I yes. I pissed him off one day because Rich was like Ryan's one of those guys that'll master something the first time he does it and just be better than everybody and I was like you mean like tattooing and <laughs> So I, I told him, like, I'd learned to tattoo in six months, and I bought all this stuff just to fuck with him, and then I just did that little heart on Richie's <laughs> wrist. Yeah, yeah. People, like, the guy who let me tattoo myself was like, don't tell anyone I like <laughs> I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, why? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's It's an interesting culture, and I – I'm definitely very attracted to it. And it's like kind of similar in my opinion. I feel like machinists and knife makers and jewelers are pretty good at it because you're basically like doing something really uh, finite in a three-dimensional surface, right? Your focus is, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the variables are somewhat inductive. What I mean is like the type of needle, loose or tight, or the amount of volts you're using, uh, the type of machine, how it hits, like what the armature bars do, like all those little like um, variances on geometry and power, just like how we're we're doing the same fucking thing on a grinder. It's like mm-hmm. a variance on like. The little nuances that unless yeah, you do it, you wouldn't yeah, know Yeah, and about. how you approach it, how you look at the shadow, how you uh, deliver the ink, you know, the angle that you're um, putting it in, the way that it's siphoning the ink. Like, it's just uh, all physics, right? So mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's kind of similar in a lot of ways. Can you make mistakes and, like, get away with it? cover it up or like what happens if you're tattooing and you just like ah shit Mm -hmm. that wasn't supposed to be there (laughs) that was the best part of like this whole convention was um listening to everybody's like mistakes and how they like recovered from it or like the their horror stories or like how they misspelled something um yeah everyone does it everyone does it my brother misspelled beautiful one time so it said beautiful (laughs) whoops yeah, he was able to fix it in the next session, but he he beat himself up for weeks after that. Yeah, apparently it haunts. I mean, it would haunt me. It would like keep me up at night. Yeah, it doesn't help though. We're not encouraging friends, so I was like, no regrets, right? <laughs> like, it just no regrets. <laughs> right. Well, honestly, that's a, I don't know. Script script is tough. This uh, this watch on my hand has no six. He left oh, the yeah? six out. And it was it wasn't in the reference material. Neither one of us noticed it till about eighty percent of the tattoo was done. And I was like, "Wait a minute, there's no." It goes four five seven. <laughs> but so he did still, it right. It was, but it was like missing in your reference photo. Yeah, and we we neither one of us caught it. Now, I mean, I we smoke a lot of weed. That's that is <laughs> that does happen. Um, but Noah, what have what did you do before you made knives? Were you a whole bunch of stuff, man. A whole bunch of like, uh, you know, not dead end roads, but you know, like I tried a lot of different things. Uh, right before knife making, I was working as an industrial designer. Um, Ooh, tell me uh, more. I want to learn more about that. It's you know, it. <laughs> so the best part about it was studying it, mm-hmm. which is kind of the case with a lot of things, right? It's like the learning is is the most exciting part of anything. Uh, for me, anyway, and and so you know, it was a three-year program. I loved every minute of learning how to do three D modeling. You know, I learned actually a lot of the things that I applied to knife making. I learned when doing practical models, like you know, physical models, how to make things to a drawing and stuff like that. How to do scale work. Um, but then the second that I graduated, it was like, okay, here's your computer. You know, it was sitting at a desk all day long and. Very, as of course, somebody who is fresh out of school, very little room for creativity. 
you know, you're, you're basically uh, like you're like a, a 3D modeling monkey. Basically, you're just sitting there doing 3D models for parts. And so I was disillusioned so quickly. I went from like I can finally have a career to this is not at all what I want. And so I pretty I pretty quickly got out of it. But I mean, if you're interested in in, in anything related to industrial design, just so that you can then take that information and apply it to what you actually want to do with it. It's, it's a very worthwhile line of study. You know, there's so much crossover with, I'm sure Andrea, with what you're doing, with production work, with design, with, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really great thing to have in your toolbox. It's interesting to come like full circle. I, I used to study industrial design in art school. And then left that to do like just like straight up art, art, like fine arts, sculpture. And like over a decade later, I'm like circling back to it just because it'll give me the tools and opportunities too. So like what you're saying, I am like trying to pick this back up mostly for a client, but I'm immediately applying those the skill sets that I'm learning to make my own production line so like the new jewelry i've been putting out has all been uh, a consequence of it so um it's been cool and so i know that there's you know if you're working for someone is there's always going to be a soul-sucking aspect of it um but also i'm trying to see more into like the future like what am i going to really be capable of doing when i'm 60 like 70 80 like and i'm not saying that like steve schwartzer still runs circles around me and he's like in his 80s i don't even remember how old he is but um yeah so like but at the same time i would like i don't want to be too far behind so i'm trying to learn the technology now so you I'm mean like happy. 3d modeling and stuff is mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Is that yeah sort of the part fusion and stuff nice like that. yeah 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 there's um, a long learning curve that's yeah. yeah for sure yes Brian but, uh, House always says if you learn fusion then there's nothing you can't do pretty much <laughs> i'm paraphrasing obviously but right yeah i mean fusion is probably the easiest one that i've like messed around with um there's i'm still not like super fast and efficient at it but i know enough to get by and yeah, I don't know. It's it's cool to be uh, precise, like right off the bat, because I definitely coming from I went I, I switched from architecture to industrial design. And so like I don't know how to draw, but I know how to draw with n- numbers. Like so I'm very like you can see it probably in my sculpture mm-hmm. um, and like the machinist mindset. Right. Um, so I don't know. I just. Once I get into it, though, like, it takes me a long time to focus. But once I'm in there, like, it's kind of hard to, like, snap me out of it until the thing I'm trying to get done is done. Do you you see a place for rapid prototyping, like, 3D printing and stuff like that in in your work? Yeah. um, For sure. There's a couple of 3D printers in my shop. They are not mine. Someone is just, like, letting me hold on to them. Um, we also teach CAD for jewelers so that they can 3D print in a type of resin that's easily castable. So they can design their jewelry on the computer, which is like how most modern jewelers are doing it. Um, and then casting that. Um, it takes a di- like a different kind of mold investment, but it's totally doable. Um so I have access to all those facilities. I'm like not well versed in them, but it's pretty cool to like, um, cause it, the, the capabilities of using a tool like that are like exponential in my opinion. Yeah. Right. So the, the level of detail I can get is a lot higher than if I were to try to do it by hand. Yeah, for sure. And the pre pre version, visualization right that you can get from those 3d models or even like those crazy high resolution renders like you can essentially see what the finished product could, could look like as, yeah. as an actual piece of jewelry way before you you know start to actually get into the how am i going to make this with my hands it's super helpful yeah instead of having like 
all your time and money vested into something that's like not going to work. And sometimes still when you have a 3D model, you're like, yeah, that should work in theory. And then, you know, when you wear it or use it or whatever, like some kind of like the user interface interaction with it is like flawed. But it's easy to tweak. So that's the nice thing. Hmm. Like on the next run, I just like move this a millimeter that way. Let's see what happens. Right. That's super cool. I, it's super interesting to me to talk to you guys about stuff like that because your brains seem to be able to like develop something out of the ether, out of scratch. And I'm a mechanic. I have a mechanical brain. I can see how things were done, but not necessarily have the ability to come up with it on my own. Um, Do you know how to draw though? Like, have you ever like? Are you are you one of those? Were you one of those kids who was always like sketching and stuff like that? And I painted for a while, and then I just kind of stopped. I have a whole box of my paintings in the basement. I just kind of hang out down there. <laughs> I mean, it's not that different from painting, right? I mean, designing in three D. I mean, unless you're doing stuff that's very dimension driven, that can that can feel very constrictive, like the original, like you know, AutoCAD software and stuff like that, where you literally to draw a line, you got to put in how long the line is or whatever. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. But like, I think a lot of them, the fusion and a lot of them were stuff. SketchUp. SketchUp's super SketchUp, easy. SketchUp, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. If you have some drawing or painting or whatever skills, then As, you, know, that's, that's, you can build it. Exactly. <laughs> As a machinist, like, you know, you take a block of material and whittle it down, right? And you're like, okay, this is the X and Y axis. Like, take this. I have uh, like quarter of an inch end mill i'm gonna like use that and like you kind of reverse engineer it right it's the same way uh it's just like one step above i think like cat is right you like you have a plane you extrude it and then you like take away stuff in order to sculpt whatever you need to sculpt so for me it was like really kind of easy to understand like okay i want to chamfer that fill it this uh i need a hole here i need this kind of threading so like from jumping from a machinist to that was like uh, pretty simple. Cause like, if you want, you can start with a cube and then like reverse engineer from there, right? Like hmm. subtract material or add material to it. So um, almost like a sculptor. Yeah. Almost. Yeah, who was it? Michael- just a lot of like frustrating buttons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it Michelangelo said that he just brings out what's already in the marble? Or something like that. Like his yeah. sculptors, his sculptures are already in there. He's just taking away material to reveal them. Mm. Yeah. I guess that, that is how I approach my knives. I have like a general shape I'm going to shoot for, but I don't lay anything out. I don't like, you know, so that way they're all a little different. A li- if you like slap them side by side, they're a little different, but you know, I don't know. You ever mess around with, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I've always just had a knack for fixing things. It's just what I'm best at. I can take anything apart and fix it. Anything. I've never found something I couldn't fix. It's, it's weird. Did, have you ever had your batches water jet cut? I haven't yet. I've, I've been I thinking have. about it. And like laser. I had heard laser. Or la- yeah, or laser. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you want repeatability, it's a good way to go. Man, that's it's true. so fucking nice. Yeah. It's nice. It is. It's so nice. It's like one less step, and it's like not that expensive. Um, and you're not skipping anything that's crucial. I mean, profiling is like, there's no real skill involved in that. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, if I want to do, go ahead and do stock remov- removal, like I have nothing against forge. Like, I like forging things, but if I'm going to forge, I'd like to forge sculpture, not necessarily a blade over and over and over and over again. That's just like, I feel like it's inefficient as far as like my wear and tear on my body. So like if I'm going to go ahead and like profile and a blade, like why not just, especially like, a, like I mentioned before my production line, I have no problem just like busting those out. Cause I need those to be, I'm trying to get the, the lowest price point on those. So in order to make money on that, I need to like cut time off. The only way to do it. 
Right. right. So if I'm doing big batches, I don't like I love like just grabbing a blade and knowing that it's the exact profile that I want. On the other ones though, on the customs, like it's really satisfying to start out with something raw and then like just intuitively knowing that the proportions are wrong and adjusting them and like being very intuitive about how it's going to be held in the hand and things like that. Like that, I, I actually enjoy that part, even like sculpting the handle where it's like, how is it going to be held? Um, and I'm trying to mix like some three dimensionality in them while also being comfortable. So, and that, that also just like is on the spot decisions, right? I don't know about you guys. I know uh, I've seen your handles actually. Those, that was pro- probably one of my favorite parts of your knives, Noah, is how you sculpt your handles. Like they just have a lot more uh, dimension and like then I don't know. I just like really appreciated the facets that you incorporate into yours. Uh, the, you know, flat, straight lines. It's, it's, it's great, it's, right? I mean, as a machinist, yeah. like curves suck, right? I mean, yeah, so yeah. if you can do something interesting using straight lines and flat surfaces, it, it you know. It's fun. To, it's fun to try to create movement or to create uh, a sense of like a curve within those constraints of using straight lines. You do a great right. job at that too. The the practicality of your handles. When I held that one at the New England School of Metalwork, I was like, Jesus Christ, my knives suck. <laughs> I was like, this is so good. Yeah, I, I I love working with the tools that I have. Like I try everything I do. If if, if I've got like a half inch wheel, well that radius is half inch that's just my design is based on my tooling and so many and so many of the things that i do just to try to make life easier of course what that means is you end up having to get more and more and more tooling to satisfy the different you know shapes that you're trying to create but Mm -hmm. i'm a masochist i i did the opposite i'm like no i want it different <laughs> so you'd be like trying to get a 14 inch radius out of like a, a 10 inch uh, wheel and then you like, wouldn't even it would be like an irregular radius it would oh, be okay like a spline spline. i'd be like yeah spline and so but yeah that's like why i'm not like quick because i'm just like no that that looks right <laughs> but well, yeah i mean it makes yeah. sense it makes sense to do it that way and yeah. the handles are always i mean if you like comparing sculpting with stone versus sculpting with clay, for instance, right? Like the handles are always kind of like sculpting with stone. They're always like a reductive process. It's a stock removal process, right? And then forging is a lot like sculpting with clay in a way, right? And so Absolutely. you kind of you get to play with both of it. You do like you forge the knife and then you and then you grind the handle. Um, you're kind of scratching both edges at the same time. Right. I, I love doing that. I love that you just made that comparison. I couldn't like, that's very eloquent. Um, I mean, you see it that way too, I would imagine. I do. Uh, When I, I, I've taken Haley Woodward's blacksmithing classes specifically to understand the math behind and the approach to moving mass. So, and like, yeah, when you're forging, that's exactly you're isolating things. And then there's like, it has to be an order of operation. And there's a lot of physics involved for sure, but it, it's kind of interesting to combine the two techniques approaches, yeah. but like, especially with the handle, that's the part that's interacting with the individual the most. So I feel like it's really important, like that connection. If I'm like going to go out of my way to make something functional um, and interactive, like my Pure passion is like to make sculpture to just make you think about stuff, right? Um, things that in our environment. But when you're making an object that's designed to be like interacted with on a day to day, I feel like life's too short to like have some whatever like uh, industrial made like two thousand of the same handle, rather than this like finely sculpted, cared for, curated thing that's supposed to fit in your hand. Mm-hmm. Right, so I, I have a lot of fun with that, and like like I said, making decisions like on the spot about how this facet, what degree that should be in, or how that's going to like come up to where the thumb is going to lie, and how to address that or whatever. Right, Andrew, you've probably already done this, but have you ever made a knife with a, a glass handle? I actually haven't. No, 
so must have thought I, about it. I mean, it would be pretty tons cool. of times for sure. Um, there's actually a glass where I follow on uh, Instagram from Spain who made like a glass like switchblade. It's fucking insane. Um, but yes, uh, the glue that you have to use is a little different. It's called Hextal. And then uh, grinding glass is kind of like grinding marble. Speaking of Michael Delangelo, you know, um, you have to do it with a lot of water. So um, and I finally got an air compressor to be able to run coolant on my grinder. But now that I work at a glass shop, I might as well just do it there. But mostly it's like I am limited to the like equipment that I have access to. So I've never like really had the guts to just like grind glass in my shop in that way. <laughs> like it's going to like with the friction glass isn't like thermal shock. So when it heats up from the friction of the, of the, you know, abrasive, it's going to like want to shatter. Mm-hmm. So that's why you need water, like always. Mm. If you tried and, to embed a tang, let's say into some hot glass, let's say, like, like, let's say instead of grinding the handle, you, you were going to do some hot work and, and like, you know, I don't know, like blowing or something, manipulate the glass hot and then set a tang somehow into that glass mm-hmm. so that like you never ground on it. It just was like, standalone like it's kind of funky but you know the handle is just blown like a glass yeah a like molded would it shatter as it cooled because it has that piece of metal embedded in it yes okay right. that's the tricky part so those like blown glass pieces that i have um i'm not sure if you looked at my sculpture but i have like some uh huge blown pieces uh what it comes down to is coefficient of expansion so every material has a different coefficient of expansion. If it say if like the co- the tang was made out of copper, it might make it because that is a similar. It's so malleable and has a similar cooling rate. So as it cools down, it'll like shrink a little, um, and it's close to glass. Not the same, but close. So um, that's why you see like the only materials you really see embedded in glass are opals synthetic opals and copper uh, because they can kind of like have the same CLE, right? So that's the the tricky part. The way I get around that when I am doing those like blown pieces in the metal is I put like layer and layer and like I douse it in a lot of layers of like kiln wash or something that's like thermal. It's basically like aeros- like aerosol um and it makes like kind of like a lubricant is also like a layer like a small minute layer but as it gives a little bit of leeway between some cushioning sort of Mm -hmm. and then i also have to alter the annealing cycle so as right after i blow into it i put it into a kiln that's around like 900 degrees and then I like it usually cools over a period of eight hours normally if it didn't have any metal. But I will alter it to cool like twice as long or even more just so that it can like um, get used to it and like not shrink super fast around the metal. And it's honestly a crapshoot. Like I will put all this effort into making these pieces and a lot of the times they don't work out, which you just like. The cool thing is the metal's still there. You just blow into it again, but like you have to blow into it again. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's very interesting. <laughs> you could, you could, you could theoretically, I guess, like embed a piece of copper into a, a glass handle and then use some mechanical way of fastening a blade to, like, if you have a copper tank. I don't know. I, I know yeah, I'm yeah, totally talking works. out of turn here, but it's just it's very exciting for me when I think of you know to to. to Think about the potentials, I guess, of this, you know, glass is so cool. And the things that you're doing with glass are, like, mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's insane material, for sure. Uh, I I don't know. I find it interesting because it's, like, one of the only natural materials that is um, solid. Like, sure, there's plastics. That's man-made. But, um, and the reason being is because the electrons are so far apart that like when they jump it's not enough to like absorb the electromagnetic spectrum right it's like too far 
like the the electron shells of the atoms are too far apart and that's why photons just go right through instead of getting absorbed does that make sense mm-hmm. i mean sort of I don't know. It's kind of like when you think about, I think about it every time I look at a leaf, right? Like when like lights going in and like everything's getting absorbed except for the green wavelength, which is then reflected out. Right. And so when you think about it with glass, they're all kind of going through and also being bent. Right. Because it's able to refract the wavelengths in different ways depending on the structure, right? Sorry, I'm getting like hella scientific. But no, that's, that's <laughs> I, really, I mean, that's really glad to know that. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's mostly like what my sculpture is about. If you like really like nitpick at it is like making those things that are like stuff we already know intuitively, but making like shoving them in your face, right? Like, hey, isn't this amazing that like your eyeball works in the same way that a telescope does or like things like that. Right. Like how gold is the only thing that's like able to absorb x-rays and like be able to read it. I don't know. Stuff like that. Well, that's science. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, the best work has these ideas that aren't immediately evident when you, when you view it, but that, that, you know, the, the level of consideration on the part of the artist is still kind of coming out of that piece, even if you're not conscious of it. Right. And so, I mean, that's great. It's good uh, to hear yeah. it. That's super cool. I got to switch us. I got to switch our gears here for a second so we can get yep. out our last ad before we wrap the show up. Hustle and grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix abrasives. Your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle & Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. So I don't have any Florida man stories lined up or anything like that. That's Noah's gig. And, no uh, but yeah, it's been awesome having you guys on. How yeah, do you guys feel about day. moving over to an after show? Yeah. You do after right. shows now? I didn't know that. We do for the patrons yet. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thanks everybody. I kind of abruptly cut that one off, huh? I'm still wondering if you guys are still hearing. Do you guys see like the screen on the bottom where it shows you your voice, but mine's not really working? Yours is really light. Mine's really light too. I think it's because we're through these mics because we're both going through XLR mics. That's cool with you. Well, it's going to be what it's going to be. (laughs) We're an hour and eight minutes in. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's cool. Like the only thing. Yeah, no, I did a test talking. run when I bought this mic the other day, and it was doing that, and I sounded fine, so we'll see. Tight. We'll find okay, out. Cool. If not, I'll get to flex some more uh, editing skills. <laughs> All right, sounds good. But And also, everybody, go to liquidiv.com and get 20% off of promo code HUSTLE10. HUSTLE10? I love that shit. I'm totally going to do it. Yeah, HUSTLE10, you get 20% off. Tight, tight. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye.